Okay, let's go, let's go. A couple of things. We're, you know, we're in the, we're about almost, we're in the week that's midway through Lent, so that's good. Um, I hope that's going okay for you. On your tables, there's the yellow sheet about the women's retreat. Uh, if you're a woman, tend that. Men's retreat, um, remember, that's a week from Friday, and you can show up when you want to show up. I mean, there, it's Friday night and Saturday morning. You don't have to stay overnight. You can just show up and have a beer and some pizza on Friday night, 7.30. You'll find us. Uh, and then Saturday morning at 8.30, so if you want to come along for that, that's great. Money in the basket today goes to Haiti. You can buy people in Haiti a goat for 50 bucks. So I would say, you know... Uh, you know, you get shoes for five bucks, but you know, but, and the pastor needs a motorcycle, by the way, for a thousand bucks, which I guess isn't a Harley, but uh, it must be something. So there's some stuff they need. I mean, Haiti is uh, Haiti's a mess, uh, and it's a mess in all directions, but that shouldn't stop us from being generous. So the money goes to Haiti. What's the pink sheet? Good. All right. So if you're going to register for the retreat, turn in the pink sheet, then life will be good. Put some money in the basket for Haiti. And men's retreat, you know, we're still, we're still going. There's stuff on the back. Uh, there's new stuff, two new stuff, two new things on the back. All right, let's pray halfway through Lent. Heavenly Father, you sent your only Son to sinful human beings, and you laid on him the burden of our sins. Grant that our faith in him is never shaken by adversity or daunted by threats, but that we ever follow steadfastly in the way that leads to perfect fellowship with him. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. All right, there you go. You got two sheets. Uh, one's a little bit of a summary. One's the next thing. So, uh, number nine is the one I'm going to just look at right now. The one that says number nine on the top. Have a look at that. So, I'm just curious, you know, how it's going for you. We're trying to push you into kind of an advanced course of Christian life here. But Christians have been doing it forever, and Jesus has been doing it forever, too. Now, just the broader outline. I don't think I said this at the beginning, but I will say it now, which is, um, you know, classically people look back and they, they say, this is how you can think about history one way and another. But one way to look at it is there are these seven ways that you sort of order the Christian life. Now, immediately, you know, that can make us a little bit nervous, but um, it shouldn't because they're really all biblically uh, grounded. So, classically... And I, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't quibble about the order or about the numbers so much, but classically, it's very easy to find these seven things that kind of ordered life in the scriptures. So prayer, you know, that, that sort of ordered the day. You know, I'm sorry, I should say first, four of them order time, three of them order space. You live in space and time. You remember the Great Commission, Jesus says, all authority has been given to, to me in heaven and on earth, that's space. And I'm with you always to the end of the age. That's time. You know, even Jesus talks about us as being human beings in space and time. The first thing, sermon a couple of weeks ago, the first thing that God did is order creation. It was formless and void. So he gives order to disorder. You know, so now put these things together. The first, Jesus loves order. Okay. Jesus loves you. Jesus puts you into order and he gives you things that will keep the order. They'll give you things that will um, make your life better than it would be otherwise. So, for these ordered time, prayer in the day, prayer, you know, like morning and evening, or just at morning, or just as evening, or however you do that, prayer at fixed times, order your day. The Sabbath, of course, orders your week. You know, six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall not work. 
So the Sabbath orders your uh, week. Feasts, and the vicar did a little bit on this last week, the feasts ordered the year. So we're in Lent, which is, you know, a, a difficult and lower period, you know, a bit more harsh. In fact, even next week we come to the Sunday where the vestments will be rose-colored because it won't be quite so harsh next week. By the way, so in the, in the spirit of not being too harsh, there'll be a 20s, 30-something here in the evening. Uh, the, 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 the goal there will be to keep it from turning into a feast. That'll be difficult. Uh, you know, it has, this is an unfeasting time. Uh, so, you know, a bit of jocularity, but not, you know, not Easter yet. But next week things go pink because, you know, people shouldn't feel like, you know, the Lord is never coming back again. And then pilgrimage, and this is actually then what uh, Arthur just will do for the men. The men's retreat is on pilgrimage. Um, I don't know that we'll do much in here because, you know, I mean, pilgrimage is the simple thing, you know, off to Israel. That's a pilgrimage. Um, you know, pilgrimage is something that orders your life. It's kind of this once-in-a-lifetime experience where you go and you always remember that. You always look toward it, and then you always look back on it, and you say, that was really an, uh, a kind of an uh, earth-changing sort of thing. People have always thought about that as pilgrimage. Uh, so, And Jerusalem was typically the place where people went, where Christians went for pilgrimage, right? So see the place where Jesus died. See the place where Jesus rose from the dead. Um, you know, go to the synagogue where Jesus taught. You know, go to Peter's house, those kinds of things. So four things, the classically ordered time, prayer, Sabbath, feasts, and pilgrimage. And so Arthur will talk about pilgrimage for the men's retreat. That's going to be the topic. A man's life is pilgrimage. So how your life gets ordered over the long term. When I talked to him about it, I said, you know, we talked about what he might want to do. He had three or four choices, and he said uh, something like... um, you know, my whole life has been a pilgrimage. My whole life has been given to pilgrimage. And that's kind of a way to um, think about that. Actually, pray for me is in Madagascar today. Madagascar is a weird place. Um, a lot of Lutherans in Madagascar, I think even the prime minister or president, whatever he is, is a Lutheran. So, but it's a strange, strange, wonderful place. So four things, four of these disciplines or four of these gifts order your time. And we've talked about some of these. Um, Mostly, though, so far, we've been talking about ordering space. One way to order your space is fasting. So your body takes up space, and, as Paul says, you pummel your body and subdue it. So you order your body. You don't let your body just do whatever it wants. Everything from mismanners to, um, you know, giving something up for Lent, that all falls under order, right? So fasting orders the body. We're talking about that now. We have been talking about that. Tithing orders your work, so your, your normal, your, norm, your productivity. And we've talked, you know, a gazillion times about that. That's a way to give order to your work. And, of course, you, you know, it's like falling off a log for you. You know what that does. It feeds the poor. It builds the church. It brings those who've never heard about Jesus into the Eucharist. So tithing is a way that orders work. And the Eucharist then orders community. Right? And so if you read 1 Corinthians 10 and 11, what does the Eucharist do? We share the same bread. We share the same body, the body of Christ. So we become the body of Christ. We share the same drink, the same blood. So we become the forgiven body of Christ. And by our eating and drinking, by our participation, we become a community. We become what we eat and drink. We become the body of Christ. Okay. So this is where we started. Then these things help us maintain orbit around Christ who spends his whole life just trying to tug you near. All Jesus wants to do is have you close to him. 
which is why Monday Thursday is going to be such a brutal day because Jesus spends all this time trying to get close to you and then the one who sits closest to him at the Eucharist is the one who betrays him. It's just shattering. You know, time and space just come apart. So it's just the horrible, horrible thing. So Jesus is trying always to pull us near. With our sins, we try to push him away. Um, you know, the Judas sin is the, you know, sort of the archetypical one of those of um, we, we betray him and push him away. And then the sixth thing, and this is, you know, my happiness, which is you're coming to a point over, you know, after 10 or 15 years of saying, and this is just normal for us. And that's what's kind of fun. What's been interesting about the comments that have come back, first, I've had very few, I've had very few, relatively speaking, comments back about the fasting. Um, that means a couple of things. Either you're just completely ignoring it, which is possible, uh, or maybe you're just sort of seeing it as, oh, this is just sort of the next step in our life together. Um, so I think it's the latter, because I've heard from enough people who have even shifted from abstinence, where you just give up chocolate, to actually fasting. You take some time, you know, you're away from food, and that sort of reorders how you think about things, okay? So it's nice to be at a point to be able to talk to you about this without the normal Lutheran, you know, knee-jerk reaction with this, is everybody working their way to heaven? And I just, you know, blah, 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 blah. I haven't met anybody who was working their way to heaven in some years now, especially not here. This is, as I said from the beginning, this belongs to the realm of sanctification, not justification. This is living as a forgiven person, not being forgiven. So hopefully you maintain that distinction and off we go. So what happens then? You know, why do this stuff? You know, with Christ at the center, this soothes the soul. It moves you towards you, what you were always meant to be. You're meant to be fully human. It leaves you feeling satisfied. So often the, the description, the presenting symptom when people come into my office is a restless heart. It's very interesting how restless, how restless our hearts are um, in a place where we have so much. We don't live in Haiti. You know, we have so much and we're so restless, which then you would think the obvious connection we would make is our stuff won't make us happy. You know, our jobs won't make us happy. Our status won't make us The only thing that will soothe your soul is coming into orbit around Christ, the constant interchange of being forgiven and living forgiven. That's the only thing that will settle your heart. Okay? So what we're doing this year, I mean, what we've been doing is trying to look at some of those things that will order us, that will settle us, that will bless us, that will keep us in order. Not like Judas where we push Jesus away. So Jesus is trying to, you know, tug you gravitationally. He pulls you near. Who will betray you, Lord? The one who shares the dish with me, the one who is nearest to me. It's a horrible, horrible thing. We're trying to avoid that. What we're trying to do is keep our proper relationship orbiting around Christ, okay? And this is the way that the Father presses us into his image. It's the way that we live a sacramental or a Christic life. It's the, it's the um, a way that we live in love. Uh, it's the way that we, as Paul says, glorify God in our bodies. And, you know, it's something that we do together. So, I'm to number nine already because I'm not going to spend too much time with this. Much of this is review, but I just want to re-emphasize where we are. Christ loves order. Christ orders your life. He actually gives you things to do that order your life. Some order time, some order space. We're working at them, okay? So this is where we started. And I don't know how this is going for you, and I don't really, really want to ask you, but you might reflect just on your own. I don't want to ask you because um, two things. It's, uh, I am 
mildly wary of the street corner phenomenon. You know, if it's going well for you, you're also happy to talk about it. If it's not going well for you, you're a bit quiet. But then there are also people who are quiet because it is going well, but it's their thing and they don't really want to talk about it. So I just am going to ask you to reflect on it in your own way. Um, this is where we started. Remember, the very first assignment was whether or not you could just put five quiet minutes aside morning and evening. By the way, um, just as an aside, I mentioned this with new members yesterday. Uh, I'm going to talk with Pastor Nelson and the vicar, but I think maybe um, we're going to extend the silence a little more at Taze. So Taze has got its own rhythm. Um, the musicians have picked it up very well. It's sort of self-guided. It's a bit quicker than it should be. And the reason it's a little bit quicker is because we haven't had as much silence. I, as, I, as you know, I, we're on the clock. Whether you know it or not, we're on the clock. We have 10-second breaks and 30-second breaks during the Taze because, frankly, you know, pastorally, that was about all I thought you could take. We probably, probably in the rest of Lent, will probably extend those time periods so that you have longer periods of silence. Now, the reason I'm telling you that rather than just having it happen is I don't want you to think I fell asleep in the dark, you know. <laughs> We've lost our place. We don't quite know what we're doing. Uh, the other thing is, is when we, as soon as we do it, what will happen is you'll be uncomfortable. There'll be a couple of reasons you'll be uncomfortable. One is you'll be uncomfortable yourself because... Um, you may not know what to do. Next would be, you're the first person to make noise, or it's your kid who's making the noise, which is worst of all. Here's the thing. We know that we put the confirmation kids in there. We know that they can't, they can't sit still for 10 seconds, you know, let alone 30 seconds or two minutes. So let's just sort of, everybody block the confirmation kids to your right and bless them as they, whatever they might happen to do, okay? Because they're kids, and that's, you know, the, the two choices are you can ignore them or you can go over and bop them on the head. Uh, we'll probably go for the ignoring part. But if we extend the silence for a minute or two and just see how that works for you, now you know how to order that silence, which is you've got a range of things you can do. There was, must have been four or five times in the liturgy for today where there was talk of remembering and being grateful. Or re- the, the, the Old Testament lesson was genius at this. Remember all the things I've done for you and don't leave me behind. You see, there's that closeness, the orbiting. Um, so it is a time to reflect on your own life. It is a time to pray. It is a time for some of you to just let your blood pressure drop. You have very stressful jobs. You travel a lot. Your kids are driving your carrot crazy. And your husband, you know, for goodness sakes. So um, you, you could probably use, and the thing is, even we, do, we have about four breaks. Even if we went two minutes, that would be eight minutes. That will seem like an eternity to you. It won't be an eternity. It will be very interesting to see how you react to that. And if you come back. So we'll see, you know. Um, but I want to see if we can extend the silence a little bit. Because classically, if you go to a service like this, classically the, the pauses can be very long, three, four, five minutes. It's uncomfortable at first, and then it becomes very comfortable. As soon as you stop thinking about everybody else and just focus on Christ and your relationship with Christ, it, cu- it turns out to be fine. So I'll just give you that bit of advice. If the silence increases, try to, um, you know... Just focus on Christ, focus on the icon, focus on a word from Scripture. It's part of the reason that today's songs are the way they are, so that you have a memory verse. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. So you've got some Scripture. Pick something to focus on. Pick one of the verses, pick the icon, <laughs> pick a candle, pick the silence itself, you know, and see what that does for you. So anyway, just kind of going forward. So, but that was your assignment. You remember way back when, the assignment was, can you just... You know, I don't know how that's going for you. Can you take five minutes in the morning? You're very busy. Can you take five minutes in the morning? Just quiet. 
even before you start your prayers, can you take just five minutes and just be quiet um, and think about the reflection. Just, just re remember, just reflect on what the Lord has given to you. So the first thing we did was silence and then a little Bob Marley for you, you know. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart. You thought that was the Psalms. That's Bob Marley, is it not? See, there's not enough reggae fans here. That's the problem. I mean, that's always a problem in a congregation. So um, I just point out to you um, a word for your mouth, right? You start up, and Luther gave us this in the meditation. You start up by reciting some words you know. So the Creed, the Lord's Prayer, the Ten Commandments. You start with his words, and you gradually move to your own words. Um, and then a meditation for your heart, and I just sort of summed where we were about the meditation, but the chewing, the squeezing, the releasing of God's Word that rearranges you, body, soul, and spirit. That's where we've been, okay? So see, you've, got, you've actually got quite a lot of work already. Um, you, you pick a place and a time. You go quiet, at least for a couple of minutes. You say a few things that are true, you know, a Taze bit, the Ten Commandments. Luther favored, you know, the Catechism because that was his life's work. That's fine. And I've given you the Luther quotes that just to rem remind you that it's sacramental and scriptural. And then, I'm at 13, um, O Lord, open my lips. I don't know if you ever realized that about Matins, but O Lord, you open my lips. And if you open my lips, if you give me something for my lips, so the sermon a few weeks ago, Temptations of Jesus, the devil does God's work for him by giving Jesus an icon for his eyes, a word for his lips, and a crucifix for his hand. Very common way that you spend your time in silence. Something for your eyes, something for your mouth, something for your hand. Um, uh, you know, even, even, uh, even the click-clack of your beads, those of you who admit that you have them, you know, to keep, uh, um, you know. So, uh, and I give you the last thing then by Bernard of Clairvaux, when we pray, and I would say also when we fast, you know, any of these disciplines, when we pray... And this completely eliminates the, the, the notion of, why don't I get what I want when I pray? It's, it's not the right question. It's an illicit question. Actually, it's the question in the gospel for today. Why don't I get what I want? You know, Why don't I get to tell God who I am? I mean, that's a great story Pastor Nelson told, this old lady who says to him, you know, and, and he lengthened the story, but the story actually goes like this in a shorter way. The old lady says to Pastor Nelson, kind of like this, when I get to heaven, when I get to heaven, I got some questions for God. And Pastor Nelson very quickly responded, yeah, and when you get to heaven, he's got some questions for you. That was, that was how it actually played out. Actually, I thought it was funnier than that. You don't think that's funny. That may tell something about you. <laughs> you, know, I should, you shouldn't be so worried about the questions that you have for God. You should be more worried about the questions that God has for you, right? So um, now we're all the way up there. Um, so here's where we've been. Jesus loves order. He gives us ways to order our life both time and space. The part of the way we order our life is to set some time aside for the ordering and preparing a space. Pictures, crucifixes, candles, incense, beads, all the things that tactically, sacramentally, incarnationally order your life. I should say something about beads. Um, I know that some of you have a secret society and you have rosaries at home. Um, Luther didn't get bent. Another thing that Luther didn't get bent about that Lutherans always think he did. Lutherans always think that Luther got bent about transubstantiation. He didn't get bent about it. If you, you could read it in the Babylonian captivity, he's bent that the, the Mass is a sacrifice. He, the, the transubstantiation doesn't really bother him unless people say he has to confess it. He says, you know, it's probably a mid-range doctrine. 
mid-range explanation. But sometimes Luther, in the same way, there are some Luther quotes where he talks about praying the first part of the rosary, which is just simply reciting scripture. I mean, the first part of the rosary is simply saying the words that the angel said to Mary. But classically, you know, it's not just Catholics. It's, it's the Orthodox, it's, the, it's, it's Greeks, it's Russians, everybody all over the world. You simply use it. If you're going to sit down, so the Jesus prayer, and say it 10,000 times a day, which is kind of the initial Orthodox push in many communities, that you start by saying the Jesus prayer 10,000 times a day in accord with um, Paul's admission to pray without ceasing, you know, you've got to kind of count. It's easy to lose count when you get to 7,863. <laughs> Jeez, I should start over. I guess I should start over. I want to make sure I get this. See, I mean, the whole thing with, with beads is just a matter. It's just a tactile way of ordering the time. It's no different than candles. Somebody asked me a very good question about why we use wax candles this week. One of the reasons we use wax candles is because they burn. So look at the Paschal candle. It's about to go away. It only has three weeks left. But you remember the first, um, you know, the, the day we had the sanctuary. Uh, since the home grandparents are here, I'll tell a home story. So David Muma says to me, that candle is too big, and the first thing that's going to happen is that candle gets going to get knocked into the font. So I went to Jim Butcher, and he filled the bottom with lead. So I said to Muma, there's no way that anybody will ever knock that candle over. Before we'd rung the bell for the first service, one of the young homeboys had a grip on the other. And the, I'm standing right next to the candle, and it starts to go like this right into the font. <laughs> Muma's right on the other side. He reaches out like this, and he grabs it. He sets it back up, then he just looks at me like this. <laughs> so there you go. It's great to be king. It's great to be right. <laughs> but I was like, how could that possibly? Well, you know, um, someday I'll tell you about when I was wrestling with my brother like this with, at Easter dinner, and I grabbed him by the lapels like a James Bond movie and pushed him back onto the Easter table, and the table, legs broke off the table, and all the china went on the floor. I'll tell you that story another day, okay? <laughs> My poor mother. All right, so um, you order your life in a particular way. You take some time. You settle in and don't do anything else. If you want, if you want, if it helps, you order it with all these other things, something for the eyes, something for the hand, something for the nose, something for the ear, right? And then what what does Luther say to do? He says you start with the stuff you know. That will order the time. Say some scripture, say the Ten Commandments, say the Creed, and then say whatever it is you need to say. Um, now, we're about, to, we're about to do a little stuff on prayer. But my great nervousness about prayer and about this, so the way this can all go wrong is if it's all about you. So if you think I'm taking you to a place where it's all about you, what we're going to do the next couple of weeks should make it the clearest possible thing that it's never about you. And it's never about you because you never run by your own steam. You only run by the steam of the Holy Spirit. And it's never about you because the Christian life is to love God and serve your neighbor. Okay? So you do all... This is like going to practice so you can play a game. You know, it's not about you. It's about the team. It's about the fans. It's about the school. It's about everything else. It's not about you. However, for you to be any good at all, you need to practice. You need to focus. You need to prepare. These are what Christians, I mean, here's the thing. Christians have done this for 2,000 years. And, you know, the reason we don't do it, I suspect, is more often than not, not because we're afraid somebody will turn it into works righteousness. We're more, we're just lazy, okay? 
But you've been very good and you come every week and we've talked about it, so, and it'll be fun to be unlazy and it'll be very interesting to see what happens because, as Jesus says, hey, sometimes things just happen with prayer and fasting. Sometimes those demons just come, you know, he doesn't tell us why, but he just tells us, you know, sometimes it's prayer and fasting. And sometimes demons don't come out without, sometimes change doesn't happen without prayer and fasting. Sometimes things don't happen without um, a lot of concerted effort by a group, okay? So part of, and I did this just a little bit before I left last time, which is the, the daily office, the stations, the times for prayer, mean it's not just you saying your prayers, it's a collective group of people saying their prayers. Sometimes a collective fast is not just you fasting, it's a group fasting. And then Jesus says to the Father and the Holy Spirit, hey, look at that. That's interesting. I wonder what's going on there. Now, last warning, as I said to you at the end of the fasting, this isn't because you're trying to lever Jesus into something. And one of the great mistakes of our prayers is we're always trying to lever God into something. So we pray, and we think we should get what we pray for. Just memorize the bit from Bernard of Clairvaux. When we pray, we get what we ask or something better. So if you don't get what you ask, you'll get something better, right? So, you know, if you don't get what you ask, something better will happen. You know, it's Romans 8. Everything gets knit together, weaved together for the good of those who love God. Okay? If you don't get what you ask, you'll get something better. Same with you fast. If you don't get what you're thinking you're going to get, you'll get something better. And it is, in fact, you know, the quote I run for you kind of some point every year during Lent, it's the couple of pages from the book on the Transfiguration by Rowan Williams, which is you cannot see your life in real time. And you have no idea the impact your life is having for good or ill. You might think your life is going great. Guess what? Jesus might not think so. You might think your life is wasted. Guess what? There are ways that Jesus knits your life together with other things so that you're not the big deal, so that Jesus gets what Jesus wants. And that, of course, is always the point. The point is that Jesus gets what Jesus wants. The point is not that you get what you want. Not that, that's not the point of any of this. The point of all this, of silence, of Eucharist, of praying, of fasting, the point is so that Jesus gets what Jesus wants. Okay? It just, I just couldn't be clearer. And that spares you from any notion of works righteousness or pushing God around or trying to order the universe yourself. When you put yourself under an order... You put yourself under authority, and you put yourself into the good of the church. Does all that make sense? Now, you knew all that already, right? Okay? But I just wanted to kind of say where we've been. Thank you. So a couple of things about that. Um, Let me think. Five minutes is kind of the bare minimum for anything like this, right? So sometimes, this is my Tizay nervousness too, which is we're going to all think that a minute is a long time. You know, classically, people keep the hours, and sometimes that's literal, where Silas goes for a very long time. Just by the by, whatever you put in your kid's breakfast this morning, that was probably the loudest St. John service ever. Congratulations. (laughs) It didn't bother me a bit, but it was just different. I was like, holy cow. I mean, so that was, there wasn't a lot of silence, but here's the thing. Those kids are our kids. When you see a kid, I'm telling you, do not frown at them. Give them a big smile and tell them how much you love them. They're in church, okay? And you want them to come back to church? Those are your kids. Love those kids, okay? So first is, um, it'll be interesting to see. 
where additional silence takes you and where additional settling takes you, not void settling, but settling on scripture then, right? The other thing is you heard about this priest that's making all this money in England who, you heard this, right, that he cut a CD of, he put a microphone in his church, which is quiet. He recorded the silence. Did you see this? And he's selling a CD of silence. (laughs) This is apparently much like selling bottles of air. People are buying this thing like crazy. Have you seen? People are buying it. I'm like, stupid, stupid, stupid me. The microphones are hanging there. All you got to do is put a cassette tape in and punch the button. I could have been rich. Marianne. Mary Ann. Good. That's good. Well, part of the thing about the Taze stuff, too, is um, Taze is just the new way to do memory work. You remember when you were in confirmation and your, your confirmation teacher was something like this at the memory work point? And then you had to stand in front of people and say your memory work, and then it was more like this. Do you remember that? Yeah, so it's more fun to learn it the Taze way. So, all right, anything else? You all okay? So, you know, you're kind of partway through this now. So where you should be, and I'm always willing to talk to you about this, where you should be at this point is... You understand that Jesus loves order. You understand that Jesus gives order. The gifts he gives order your life. Um, Daily prayer, Sabbath, um, feasts and pilgrimage, Eucharist and tithing, and prayer. Those things things order your life, okay? Those are different ways to order your life. And I'm not equivalent about whether there's five of them or seven of them or nine of them. I don't care. What I really care about is the order because you walk into a world that is chaotic. Chaos goes with evil. Order goes with holiness. Okay, chaos, evil, darkness all go together. Order, light, and holiness all go together. It's the simplest way to, just, to, to figure out what's true and not true in the church. Light and darkness, chaos and order, good and evil, they all go together. So we're, what we, all we've been doing is trying to um, observe some ways that Christ orders the church. Now, I want to do some stuff. All right, so that's, now we're going to go to the other handout, okay? You still with me? Um, Here's the thing. I've probably done something on prayer three or four times since I've been here in different venues. Um, what I am going to do for you is give you a bit of a summary of some lectures that John Kleinig gave. In fact, I've, even to the point where I've given you his handout and I've put his name on the top of it, um, because he has a little bit of a different perspective, and he would say things to you that I wouldn't necessarily say, but I think which are truer than true. He's also really, really smart. So... Um, just pick that piece up, and we'll get through part of this. So the next thing to do is you've got silence going. You've got some meditation going, which is reading scripture. I, I, I just want to say this very clearly. You have, first, you have silence, time and a place. You pick up the scriptures, and Jesus speaks to you in the scriptures. The next thing that you do is you speak back. So the first thing is he speaks, and we listen. That's meditation. He speaks, we listen. Speaking back is we speak, and he listens, Okay. Now, how much fun this can be, you know, is in the, is in the stuff from, from Kleinig. And, uh, you know, if it goes wrong, it's on me, and if it goes right, it's on him. Um, just an aside, it took me three years to convince them to, at Camp Arcadia to invite Kleinig along. Uh, they were extraordinarily nervous, and I tried to get them to do all ten lectures, and they were like, no, we don't let new people do ten lectures. I'm like, so I did five, and he did five. So, you know, that wasn't the most comfortable experience I've ever had, partly because it was my second round. I didn't have time to prepare, and partly because I just would let, rather listen to Dr. Kleinig talk. Uh, it's the only place I've ever been in Arcadia where a guy got an extended standing ovation, and that's a very 
sophisticated group of people. They've been listening to you know great lecturers, university professors for years. Um, so there's some really good stuff here. If you want a Bible open, just for reference, you know the great place to look is John 14 and 15. There's some great stuff in John 14 and 15. Chief among them are verses like, I've come that you may have joy and your joy may be full. One of the great verses in the scripture. I've come that you might have joy and that your joy may be full. And the other one is, whatever you ask in my name, um, you can have it. If you can find it in my name, I'll give it to you. So John uh, 14, 14. If you ask anything in my name, I'll do it for you. The next verse is really interesting too. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. You know, so love is action, the action of keeping the commandments. So John 14, 14, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. John 15, 16, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. That's terribly important. You can't decide for Christ. You don't, you don't make the first move. You don't do the verbs. You've heard me say this in a bunch of different ways. You did not choose me. I chose you. Fine. I pulled you into orbit. You know, I drew you in close to me at the Eucharist. You didn't choose me, I chose you, and appointed you. Now that's something new. Authorized you, appointed you, put you in a particular place, set you in a particular spot. And in a moment, I'm going to talk to you about the end of the catechism, which you know as the table of duties, which is a horrible German mistranslation. In fact, we should have the vicar, who's a smart German guy, retranslate that for us. Um, it's all about your station and vocation in life, how life is ordered. It's about the orders of life. So you chose, you didn't choose me, okay? Don't ever get the sense that you made the first move. You know, the Lord comes to Abraham and Ur. He's a moon worshiper. He says, how's it going? You know, your choice is you could have the moon, you could have me. The only problem is if you take me, we're moving left four or five hundred miles. How's that? Up he goes. Off he goes, right? You didn't choose me, I chose you. So never think that you're running by your own steam. Never think that your prayers are your prayers. Never think that your fast is your fast. Never think that your silence is your silence. It's not yours. You didn't choose me, says Jesus. I chose you. Okay? And, he, of course, he cho- chooses you and he gives you gifts. I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and your fruit should abide. Uh, that great abiding word, abide in me and I'll abide in you. Yes, friend? Only if you live in Wheaton is at the tip of predestination, <laughs> which we all do. Uh, I don't actually, that, that is not where my switch flips when I read that. I, I read it, I just see it more as, um, you have to read it in, I suppose I would read it, the easiest context is to read it in John 3.16, which is the great anti-predestination, that he dies for the sins of the whole world, right? And this is only a couple of chapters later. You always have to read these things as one, you know, one long bit, but... So I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't read it in any way toward predestination. I don't understand predestination because it happens outside time. And frankly, nobody else understands predestination either. You never start theology with something you don't understand. You start with what you do understand. Here's what's really easy to understand. God loves you, and he sends his son Jesus Christ to go to the cross to forgive you. Yes, there's this whole other thing going on that you don't know about. And he, sometimes Paul talks about it. Knew you from forever, predestined you for this or that. I can't, my mind doesn't work outside time, neither does yours. You can muse about that over a couple of bottles of good wine, which I'm very happy to come to your house and do. <clears throat> but as a starting point, it makes me extraordinarily nervous. Yes, David. The thing I learned to remember about predestination is very simple. 
Okay. And I think it's very Lutheran. God is in charge. That's right. Period. That's right. He does the verbs. He makes the first move. Okay. Mr. Schlesselman. By zip code. What does that mean? Yeah, right. So I, I started, I'm working on my Monday Thursday sermon, which is why Judas is on my mind a little bit. So I wrote a line yesterday, and I thought to myself, I left it late last night. I thought, I wonder if I'll say this, and you'll write the district president. Um, <laughs> if there's a hell, I hope it's empty. Okay? So now here's the thing. Now I'm going to have to write a different sermon because I've pretty much given you all I got so far. <laughs> You aren't going to remember. You won't know. You'll say, I wonder if that's, I wonder where I, so here's the thing. Um, my first reaction to that in our age, in our Googleish age, is it's moot. Name me a place um, that you can't get to. So the whole question about natives in a village that is undiscovered, there's about three of those villages totaling 17 people. I mean, we have covered, where, where can't you get Dish Network, Right? There's no place that we can't go. So in one way, the question is not about their lack of knowing. The question is about our refusal to bear fruit. It's about our laziness. It's about our refusal to tithe. Do you want me to give you my tithing speech again? <laughs> you know, every, every, every problem is the church is because people don't tithe. You know, I'm not actually, it's not because, you know, is it the law, is it the gospel? It's a problem, okay? Every, if people gave 10%, if everybody in every church gave 10% of their gross, there would be no place in the world uncovered because there's enough knuckleheads who are willing to go crazy places are just in Madagascar as we speak, right? So here's the thing. It's a moot point. The other thing is, is um, part of the presupposition there is that God's default is wrath, not mercy, Right? And, and part of it is, it's, there's, there's something for us to answer for. So we're the church, and he says to the church, I'm going to give you this gift. We're going to actually do this. I give you this gift, and it's yours to use, and you use it for the good of other people. And then we say, uh, thanks for the gift, and we'll spend it all on ourselves. Right? I mean, it's just, it's just such, the, it's such a painful question, because it's, it's one, an indictment of us as the church. There is nothing we can't do as the church if we would be faithful. There's no place we can't go, nobody we can't talk to, there's no language we don't know. There's nothing, it's, it's a moot point, right? And the other thing is that thinks about God as um, wrathful rather than merciful. So yeah, the Lord will sort that out. I hope he sorts it out in a way that's very empty. Um, you've learned this over the years, you know, you don't have any enemies because Jesus doesn't have enemies. And in your own, you know, if you come to confession, and you tell me about somebody, I mean, one of the questions, which I've been asked in my own confession, I think it's an extraordinarily good, good question. I, you know, sort of confessed how angry I was at somebody, and my confessor said, do you wish them into hell? That's an extraordinarily good diagnostic question. If you want somebody to go to hell, it betrays that you're still hateful, right? So the notion that anybody, that you'd wish anybody into hell, now here's the thing, we're not so... You know, we're all good people, and so we sort of say, oh, we wouldn't want anybody to go to hell in any zip code. But then what does Jesus say to people like that? He says, you honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me, right? You honor me with your words, but your hands don't do anything. 
So the church has a lot to answer for, and the church's first answer should not be, those people are going to hell because they're in the wrong zip code. Uh, that was a long little riff there, wasn't it? But I'm quite passionate about this because I think we need to reorder our questions for the 21st century. So, anything else? I missed you. Didn't get to talk. Ah, yes, my friend. I do not believe that it means that. And that is, you know, that comes in the 16th century from a lawyer. Early on, very, Calvin was a lawyer, not a theologian, just so you know. Lawyers like, um, if you know any lawyers, God love them because their worlds are black and white, although my resident lawyer tells me such a thing is just an illusion. But I like, to, I like my illusions, and I like to live in them. So one of the things, at least, you know, people like their T's crossed and their I's dotted. If you can, it, it makes a very pretty picture if you draw it out. It's very, it's very clean. Here's all the people. These people are damned. These people are not damned. These people will discover to their horror that they're damned. These people will discover their delight that they're not. Let's all go home and have soup. You know, that's how it works. That doesn't seem to me to be, it doesn't seem to me to be clear. Mary, I'm going to come to you. I've got a follow-up. Go ahead. Well, it'd be nice if you let people knew they were invited to lunch. It's horrible to have a lunch and expect people, but you never invited them, right? So it's your, here's the thing. Everybody wants to make a big deal, especially Lutherans, about the priesthood of all believers. Everybody wants to make a big deal about being in the church. What do priests do? They pray and they sacrifice. Jesus says, I chose you and appointed you. What's the next line? That you would go and bear fruit, that you'd bear it abundantly. So here's what happens. This is the very first thing that happens. Jesus saves you. He calls you. He brings you into the church. And immediately he gives your hand something to do. Now, there are tons of Christians who have refused the work that's been given to them because the only interest they have in Christianity is not being in the wrong zip code. And this is why... I've ranted about this from the first day I've been here. Christianity is not about staying out of hell. I mean, if you, if you, you hear that often, that the whole notion of Christianity is not going to hell, that is nonsense. That, I mean, that's the threshold. That is the, you know, that's the first step, not the last step. And this is why the, the constant refrain here has been, the interest is living the Eucharistic life. Part of the Eucharistic life, and this is the next thing that we need to do as a congregation, is to say to people, your life would be better if you were at the Eucharist. Really? Why? Because you've got sins and they need to be forgiven and you feel unloved and you need to be loved and you need to be part of a community and the Lord has work for you to do. Besides that, your heart is a mess. You know, it's restless. You feel unfulfilled. But the church knows how to love you and fill you and make you part of a family. That's the message of the church. It does, in fact, start with sin and forgiveness, but that's the first word, not the last word. It's right here. I chose you and appointed you. What? So that you would go and bear fruit, fruit that will abide. That's code language. Abide is the word for, when Jesus says abide in me and I in you, it means stay put in me. So rejoice in all the things you've got, but not for yourselves. It's always about love God and serve your neighbor, right? This is a, you know, I know that I'm speaking quickly and sort of like running these things off in a row, but you all have heard this a thousand times before. The thing is, is I would like for you to understand that what we're doing now is just the next thing. And it's an uncommon thing for Lutherans to speak about meditation and to speak about fasting. Prayer is common, more common. But to speak about meditation and about fasting, those are not common things, but they are classic disciplines. You know, they're classic disciplines that Christians have used. Jesus read the scriptures. 
You know, what is, well, I mean, what's the story? He went up and he opened the scriptures and he, you know, he, he re- the, the, best, the best data that we have about Jesus in the temple at his first, oh, let's skip the last service. The best, the, best, <laughs> the best data that we have of Jesus at his first sermon is that he's reading the lectionary. There were appointed texts. That was the text for that Sunday. We have the, we have the ancient lectionaries, right? They read scripture, and Lucia says, when you read it, you crush it. Like, remember he talked about garlic. It's like crushing garlic or rosemary, and the smell all comes out, it all comes out. Meditation, you never hear about that. Luther talked about it all the time. It was what changed his life. I meditated on the just shall live by faith. What did that mean, right? The righteousness of God. I meditated on that. What did that mean to meditate? It means he crushed it, it came open to him, it made him alive, and then he went to work. That's what we're trying to do. You've got 15 seconds. We're in fact actually in overtime like the Blackhawks. Go ahead. Judgment call is the Lord's. Our will should be his will. We should show the empowerment of God's love by prayer, that they would come to know him as we do, and that love should be so intense that we shouldn't have to like worry so much about like those individuals that perhaps are in a different area. Do your work and sleep well. The only thing I'll say to you, and I think this is the next step, I think this is the next step for us as a community. So, you know, if it'll take five or ten years or whatever it'll take, but the next step for us as a community is well, and that love has to push its way outside the doors. It already pushes its way out in some ways, gifts for grace, Christmas sharing, all this stuff. But here's the thing the whole end game, from the very first day I got here, the end game was to create a place where you could say to somebody honestly, without embarrassment, you should come to my church. That's the whole end game. That you can say very easily, you should come to my church. Right? That, that's, the, that's the deal. But when you walk in the door, you have to be surrounded by people who are kind, who are loving, who will greet a stranger, who will shake a hand, who will be hospitable, who will try to help, who won't crab at your kids if they make a noise, who will help you on the way to communion. Who will, you've got to have people who are willing to do that. We're just on the edge of that, and it's taken this long to get there. Right? But the good news is, you're there. So what I'm trying to do is to push you into the next thing, right? So, I mean, if everybody brings one person to church, you have a congregation that's twice as big as it is today. But to do that, you have to build a community that's loving and kind and interested and not insular and finger-shaky and crabby. People are around crabby people all the time. They don't want to be around crabby people anymore. They want to be around happy people who know they live from the gifts of God. We gotta go. Um, we'll do this next week. Um, love you. Here we go. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you. See ya.